Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we give thanks today that you truly do lead us. Father, you, in your grace and kindness, guide and direct us through all points in our lives. You do lead us. And yet, Father, as we have just sung, that we would not murmur, that we would trust you as we're guided through difficulties, Father, we admit that it is so easy for us to worry, to complain, to murmur as we go through difficulties in this life. And yet you are constant. You never change. You never fail. So, Father, by your grace, help us to follow your guidance in all things. Father, you do lead. It is up to us to follow. So, Father, by your grace, work within our hearts a desire to continue to follow you, to trust you, to depend upon you as we walk through the difficulties and through the turmoils and through the trials of this life, knowing that you do indeed lead us. Father, today, as we look to your word, may our hearts bow to your lordship in all things. May we seek to live out the truths of your word here today. Father, guide and direct as only you can in your word. We pray these things in Christ's precious name, pleading his blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 again. Uh, The majority of our time is going to be focused on verse 7. So, again, to have fair, even, uh, even whatever (laughs) between wives and husbands, now it's time to talk to husbands and see what Peter's uh, commands are to husbands here. But we're going to go ahead and, and quickly review what we looked at last week as we're looking at the pilgrim's family. So look with me, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good And do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
So to just quickly review what we looked at last week as we started looking at the Pilgrim's family, we began by seeing how the whole goal in the family is to strive for Christ-likeness. We built this upon the, the first word that we see in these two sections, likewise. And that likewise is pointing us back to what we see at the end of chapter 2, how Christ um, left an example for us that we might follow in his steps. And so in both, for both husbands and wives, the goal is to strive to be like Christ. He is our example. Likeness to him is our goal. And then we talked about how the family is designed to show redemptive relationships. We talked about how Paul likens the, the, the wife as the church submitting to the husband as the church submits to Christ. And how the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church, giving himself for her. And then we saw as the likeness to Christ is the goal that we're called to, there are distinct roles given. And we spent last week talking about particularly the role that the woman is given by God. And we talked first of all about how just because there are different roles, it doesn't change the value of the individual. There is equality in value, but yet there's difference in roles. And then Peter, we talked about how he talks about what the role is for wives. They are to voluntarily submit themselves. They are to show transformed conduct. And that conduct is, is based upon their living in awe of who God is and then pursuing inward beauty. And then ultimately, we talked about how the submission that a wife shows to her husband is not showing that she trusts her husband, but rather it is showing that she trusts God, that there is confidence in the Lord. And we ended, as Peter pointed us to, with the example of Sarah, who trusted her husband, Abraham. And Abraham did some pretty stupid things as a husband. And yet God protected her because her confidence was not in her husband. Her confidence was in God. Well, today, we're now going to turn to looking at the role that a husband is called to fulfill in the family. In 1989, Dr. Alan Francis and collaborator and researcher Cindy Cashman published a groundbreaking book on the relationship between husbands and wives. He claimed in his book called, entitled Everything Men Know About Women to reveal the most comprehensive understanding of men's knowledge of women. It's a concise book at 100 pages, and yet it's heralded as a book that is fiercely frank and brilliantly insightful. A source from the Daily News is quoted as saying about the book that it fully reveals the shocking truth. And so I, I got permission to show you just, just one little insert from the inside of this book. So this is a groundbreaking book on what husbands know or what men know about women, and this is what you find there. It's completely empty, all right? Now, th this book is completely a gag book, um, and you can actually still order it on Amazon. It's, believe it or not, that is the actual cover. It's been in print for over 30 years. Um, in 2018, it, it celebrated its 30, 30th year of publication. But each inside, uh, inside page is completely blank. It's a gag book, and like I said, you can still get it on Amazon. Now, this highlights a common human supposition that men and women don't understand each other. 
Uh, and then, of course, as it typically goes, there, there's the idea that men don't understand women. And it can be easy for husbands to throw their arms up in frustration because they struggle, they don't understand their wives. I mean, the priorities between husbands and wives are often very different. Their emotional makeup is different. Their thinking is different. Their perspective is different. And this can lead very easily to conflict inside a marriage. I mean, in, in fact, until even recently, the modern media and entertainment sources would highlight this. Who, who here doesn't remember some movie where there's a hysterical woman who has to be set straight by a logical man, all right? That seems to be what the world has put forward. And I see lots of women shaking their heads like you've been frustrated with that for all these years. Now, unfortunately, we've let these cultural concepts infiltrate the minds of believers. So often, Christian husbands sort of throw their hands up. I just don't understand you. You're the emotional woman. I I can't seem to get through to you. What does Peter call husbands to do in this passage? He cuts through the cultural norms that have seemed to infiltrate into the Christian's life, and he calls them to Christ-likeness in their relationships with their wives. Again, I'd like to remind you of what Dr. Clowney said that we talked that started with last week. For the Christian who follows Jesus, I'm sorry, the Christian who follows Jesus does not grasp for privilege. He or she is already privileged beyond imagination. The Christian seeks rather opportunities to imitate Christ in willing subjection to service. So the question is, how does Peter call upon husbands to serve their wives? And that's what we're going to look at today as we see the role of husbands. First thing we see that Peter points to is that husbands must conduct themselves with understanding of their wives, understanding conduct. It's as though Peter recognizes what things were like for husbands in the first century and what they're like for husbands today. That, that this book, everything that men know about women, was something that was a problem thousands of years ago. And it truly illustrates the reality that nothing new exists under the sun. After describing the role that the wife has to play in the family, Peter now turns to instruct husbands. And again, I think it's important to note what the first word is in verse 7. Likewise. What is that likewise pointing back again to the humble example of service that Jesus Christ gives to all believers? His example of service is what husbands are to look toward. It is not only the woman's responsibility to submit in service to her husband, but rather the husband is called to, like Christ, be willing to wrap a towel around his waist and to clean and wash his wife's feet. Sacrificial love, the sacrificial love that Christ showed as he walked upon this earth is an example of how husbands are to walk on this earth. Remember, husbands, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. 
So Peter is picking up on that theme, and he's calling us as husbands, he's calling husbands to recognize that you must be giving yourself away for the sake of your wife. But what does that look like? Well, it begins with understanding them. Peter says in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, it's interesting how he uses the term live with your wives in an understanding way. The term live that's used there it refers to the ordinary daily life in wedlock. It, it is a familial term that's used that Peter chooses to use here. And it provides for us a sense of, of the scope of this command. Peter is not saying to husbands, only live with your wives in an understanding way for part of the day. He's not calling them to to say, okay, I'm going to set aside a particular point of my day and that's going to be the time of day where I live with my wife in an understanding way. He's calling this to be part of their everyday experience. That every moment of every day, a husband is striving to know his wife. They're to conduct themselves according to that knowledge. But what knowledge is in view here? What does it mean to understand their wives or to live in an understanding way? Well, we we might be tempted to limit this knowledge to just focusing on the wife. Now, it certainly includes knowing the wife, but the term that Peter uses here is a broader term. It's a term that's used throughout the Scripture to refer to the knowledge of God Himself. And so Peter is calling on husbands here to live in an understanding way, and the primary understanding is their understanding of Jesus Christ. The more that a husband knows Christ, the more that a husband will know how he is to act towards his wife. Peter's calling on husbands to know Christ more fully. I think of what Peter is going to say later on in in his second epistle, that all things that pertain to life and godliness is given to us in the knowledge of Him. And the Him is Jesus Christ. So there is a Christ-centeredness in the knowledge that a husband seeks as he pursues to live with his wife in an understanding way. This is a high calling. I mean, think about what, how Christ perfectly knew others as he ministered to them. It's always amazing to me to see how Jesus knows exactly what to say when he deals with someone. From his dealings with the Samaritan woman at the well, to how he deals with the Pharisees, to how he deals with his disciples, to how he deals with Lazarus' sisters. In each place, Christ perfectly knows what to say, how to deal with them. And so, as husbands seek to look to Christ and pursue Christ-likeness, particularly in their relationship with their wives, then it requires them to seek to be like Christ is towards their wives, to know their wives comprehensively. So, it, it begins with knowledge of Christ and seeking Christ-likeness, and then, what, how would Christ deal with, with your wife, he would seek to know the concerns and cares and needs that your wife has. And so then the husband seeks to live 
in understanding with their wives. Now, what kind of understanding is he talking about? It's not just surface level. Right? He's, not, he's not telling husbands, you need to know what your wife's favorite flower is, or what your wife's favorite chocolate is, or what their favorite color is. Right? It's th- th- now, you should know those things. All right? you know, like for instance, I know my wife is deathly allergic to lilies. So if I want to give her flowers, I'm not getting her lilies. Although I remember when we were first started dating, I got her, I think it was baby's breath, and she hated baby's breath, and so now I don't get her baby's breath or anything. We need to know those type of things. But the understanding that Peter is calling husbands to, it's to know them fully, to have a comprehensive knowledge about every aspect of them, to know their, their emotional needs and to meet them to know their fears and concerns, and to ease them. And again, I think it's not by accident that Peter commands wives at the end of verse 6 to not fear anything that is frightening. Right? There is a lot of fearful things in this world. And so Peter says, as wives are trusting God, they're not to fear the frightening things. God will carry them through that. But then he turns to husbands and says, okay, husbands, understand your wives. Understand their fears. Understand the things that they are going to worry about and seek in Christ-like service to them to ease those fears. The idea is that a husband has a responsibility to make it easier for his wife to obey the command of verse 6 to not fear anything That is frightening. That is what a husband is called to do. But notice that it is not just a call for husbands to understand their wives. He's not asking husbands to have knowledge alone so that you could, if someone were to give you a comprehensive test on your wife, you could pass the test with flying colors. Notice what he says. In fact, the main command in this Verse is not to understand, but it is husbands what? Live with your wives in an understanding way. See, knowledge alone puffs up. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now he's talking about a a different issue, food offered to idols. But he says we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, what does knowledge tend to do? It puffs up. But love doesn't look within itself to puff itself up, but love seeks to build up others. Love builds up. This is the type of living that Peter is calling husbands to live. This is what lies at the heart of the very command to live with your wives in an understanding way. It's not just to know your wives, but to order your conduct according to that knowledge. So that not only do you just say, oh yeah, she's got these concerns, but that doesn't affect the way I live. Rather, you take her concerns, you take your knowledge of her, and then you change the way you live as a husband because you love her, because you're obeying Christ's command here. Having a comprehensive knowledge of your wife only takes you halfway to obeying what God is commanding. 
It has to change your actions. It's through a husband's actions taken in consideration of what he knows about his wife that he is able to show that he loves her. I mean, think about it this way. Think about it in regard to our relationship with God. Right? We, we can know a lot about God. We can know the commandments. We can know the Bible from front to back. We can read it every year. We can take classes and, and go to systematic theology classes and, and, and read books and try to gain lots of knowledge about who God is. But if it doesn't affect our living, then it shows that we don't truly love Him. In fact, Jesus said that if we love him, we will what? Keep his commandments. That our knowledge or our love of God is going to drive us to live in light of that. That's the same thing that God is calling husbands to do with their wives. To live with them in an understanding way. A husband shows that he does not love his wife when he seeks to order his conduct according to his preferences, not his wife's. A husband shows that he does not love his wife when he acts selfishly, when he acts bombastically, when he acts focused on himself. A husband does shows that he does not love his wife when he considers her concerns insignificant, a distraction, unfounded, See, the reality is, is that husbands need to die to themselves daily for the sake of their wives. What did Jesus do to show his love for the church? He died. And so it is the call for husbands. It is a high calling. Give yourself away for the sake of your wife. Your wife must Come before yourself. So husbands are first called to have understanding conduct. But Peter does not end there. He also calls husbands to have sincere value placed on their wives. Live, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. What is the result of abiding knowledge of your wife? The more you know her, the more you should cherish her. The more you should value her. The deeper your knowledge of her, what your wife becomes, husbands, then that should drive you to honor them even more. Now it's interesting, the term that's used here for honor, it's not referring to outward acts or outward manifestations alone. Now, certainly, if a husband loves his wife, it should be evident to the world around him that he does love her. But just as we can put on a show in our lives and our commitments to Christ, also husbands can put on a show in the way that they treat their wives. And they can come to church, they can go out in the community, and it can seem like they're the loving, doting husband, but when the doors shut in their household suddenly their wives seem like they don't even exist to them. That is not showing honor to them. Rather, showing honor to their wife is brought about with an inward 
treasure that they have, a value, a respect that issues from sincere hearts that will then be seen in the conduct of their lives. Husbands, your wife is to be the most valuable thing in your life. More valuable than anything else that you possess or anything else that is in your life. For is this not how Christ values his church? Now, as we said, we've been really bucking against the, uh, the cultural norms, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. That's not a very popular term- terminology today. And Peter comes and says something else that in our very, uh, very progressive world in which we live today, the modern mind recoils at this term as well. They are to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. The weaker vessel. So, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what in the world is Peter talking about? What does he mean, the weaker vessel? In what way are women the weaker vessel in comparison to men? Now, we have to be honest that Peter doesn't provide any clarity for us. He just says women are the weaker vessel. We must admit that he doesn't clearly explain it, but I think we can gather some some observations. I think it begins by first saying what it is not. I have heard some, and I think it's a, it's a terrible abuse of Scripture, but I have heard some people say that, that particularly because Peter is challenging husbands about knowledge or gnosis, understanding, that wives then are weaker in the realm of understanding or intellect. I've heard that thrown out there. Um, but nowhere in this passage is it stated that women are somehow lesser in intellectual capacity than men. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, you see over and over again, oftentimes the men are stupid in the way they go about things, and it is women who seem to show a level of wisdom and sensibility that, that helps to save their husbands in certain situations. And again, last week I talked about how Abigail saved her husband from things. There's a great example there. You look at what's described about the virtuous woman, and she is a woman who has incredible intellectual prowess. She considers a field, she buys it, she has business acumen about her. So Peter is not saying that women are somehow less intellectually capable as men. I think that probably what Peter is getting at here is he is focusing on the fact that God has ordered the husband-wife relationship by giving more authority to the husband, and therefore the husband is stronger from an authority standpoint than the wife is, and she in that way is the weaker vessel. So what does that mean then as a husband shows honor? Does that mean then that as he has this authority given by God, is he free to misuse it and to exert that authority for selfish means? And the answer is no. Because if he's doing that, then he is exploiting the weaker position that the wife has, and, and he's not doing and showing love as he ought to. He's not honoring her as he ought to. I think that seems to fit well with what Peter is saying here. But I think there's some other things that we can draw from this. It could point to physical weakness. 
many ways, I think this is correct. There are tangible physiological differences between men and women, despite what our world would have us believe today. Husbands then should value their wives in regard to these physical differences. Take, not taking advantage of their physical strength over their wives' weakness in that perspective. I think also, to some extent, it could refer to emotional weakness. Now, not that women are sort of wimps when it comes to emotions. In fact, I would argue that men are the wimps when it comes to emotions. Women are more courageous with their emotions. They're willing to talk about them and put them out there. But that being said, women tend to feel things more deeply. Their emotions tend to take, and the words that, that husbands say, sometimes not even thinking that it is going to be harmful, they say words and they cut straight to the heart of their wives. So how is a husband recognizing that weakness? How is he supposed to live? He's supposed to live in such a way where he values her. He seeks to be careful in the things that he says. Where he would say words that would likely roll off his back is no big deal. They could carry immense hurt and wound their wives deeply. So husbands are called to honor their wives as the weaker vessel. Perhaps all of these are included and even more. But I think what Peter is, is hinting at here, husbands, you have no right to exploit your wives. Rather, your conduct must, it must show the great value you place upon them. That's what Peter is saying here. Is it obvious to the world around you, is it obvious to your wife that you value her? That she's important to you. Whenever a husband acts in a way that leverages his strengths to his advantage so that he can manipulate or coerce his wife to get what he wants, who is that showing he loves? Is it showing he loves his wife? It's showing he loves himself. They're displaying that they value themselves more than their wives. And this is not Christ-like sacrifice. What did Jesus do? I mean, is there anyone of more infinite value than the Son of God? No. And notice what he did for his bride, the church. As we are all called to have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was equal with God. He had all majesty, all glory, all power, infinite value. Did he use that value, that position of strength, to coerce or to manipulate his people? No. But rather, he did not count that equality with God a thing to hold on to, a thing to be grasped, but he made himself, the passage goes on, of no reputation, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to what? Death. Even death on a cross. This is what Christ is calling husbands to do as they live with their wives. 
every day, every moment of every day, seek to know her. Seek to know her fears and her concerns. Seek to make it easy for her to not fear the frightening things in life. And then seek to honor her, to show that honor to her by giving yourself away for her sake. So we've seen the role of wives. We've seen the role of husbands that Peter gives. There are other roles that the scriptures provide for husbands. And Peter just doesn't deal with it. We're preaching through Peter, so we're not going to go there. But there there are other things that uh, the scripture has to say to husbands. But I think it's interesting in both instances, Peter points to the fact that there are consequences if you do not, if you neglect the role or you do not fulfill the role that God has given you to do. And we see it most explicitly here in Peter's instructions to husbands. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way, show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, what? Your prayers be not hindered. What happens if husbands neglect the role that God has given them as husbands? Their relationship with God is interrupted. There is a stumbling block, an obstacle placed between them and God as a result of their conduct towards their wives. There are serious consequences for the husband in neglecting the role that he's given. Now, Peter makes the statement, your prayers may not be hindered, which implying then that if you don't honor your wife, if you don't live with her in an understanding way, then your prayers will be hindered. So the question is, what does it mean then to have our prayers hindered? The idea of the term, the word for hindering in the original has the idea of hindering, thwarting, slowing down, or interrupting. And particularly, it refers to the idea of an obstacle or a barrier being placed in someone's path. Particularly, we have to recognize that prayer is essential to the Christian life. It is essential to the Christian life. What does Paul tell the church at Thessalonica that they're supposed to do in their prayer lives? They're to pray what? Without ceasing. And and the concept that Paul is getting at here, prayer is not something we do when we bow our heads before a meal. It's not something we do where we do it before a worship service. It's not something we do when we pray before our devotions or pray before we go to bed at night. Those are all legitimate aspects of a prayer life. But really, a prayer life is a lifestyle. It is something you do all the time. You're to be constantly in communication with God. And then we have to recognize that prayer is an act that is completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that we're weak when it comes to our prayer lives. And I think this is obvious. If you, if you really evaluate your prayer life, I think you'll admit, I'm weak when it comes to prayer. It is likely one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian walk. We're weak. But God gives us the Spirit to help us in our weakness. How does He help us? Well, we don't pray like we ought to. 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You cannot have a vibrant relationship with God apart from the intercession of the Holy Spirit. But praise God, He gives the Spirit in full measure to us. But this Spirit who is given to indwell believers who lives with us can be grieved and can even be removed to discipline us. Notice what David says in his great sin with Bathsheba. He cries out to God, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. See, the reality is, is that, and I think what Peter is getting at, is that if husbands neglect the role of loving honor and service towards their wives, God may indeed take the influence of the Spirit away from them so that their prayers would not be answered by the Lord. God places an obstacle to the selfish husband's prayer life by removing the ministry of the Spirit. That is how serious God is with husbands fulfilling the role that He's given them to fulfill. And think about why that is. Because the husband is to show how Christ loves his church. It is a reproach upon the name of Christ when husbands don't love their wives as they ought. God places an immense importance upon what husbands are called to do. Remember how earlier in uh, chapter 2, in verse 24, it speaks about how Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. How do husbands live out the righteousness they have in Christ? They do it by honoring and loving and understanding and living according to that understanding for their wives. That's how they display the righteousness of God within them. And if they choose to act wickedly in their relationships with their wives, the Lord will turn His gracious face away from them and turn to them with a face of opposition. Notice what Peter says just a few verses later in 1 Peter 3.12. The eyes of the Lord are on who? The righteous. And His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who what? Do evil. What is it for husbands to mistreat their wives. It is evil. And so the consequences of neglecting the role that a husband is given is a hindered relationship with God. But there also comes a point where we see that there is a reproach on the gospel. And this particularly concerns wives and their conduct before their husbands. Notice what Peter says, we can look back up in, in the beginning of this passage in chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. Now, what, what does that mean, to not obey the word? 
this term, do not obey the word, if we were to look back at chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, it refers to those who reject Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, look, wives, I know that there, there are wives out there whose husbands are unbelievers. And they, they are not going to regard the command of God to live with their wives in an understanding way. They're, they're without the grace of God. They're apart from Christ. So wives, what are you supposed to do when you're in that situation? Do, do, you, do you get up and say, you need to be saved when your husband's treating you badly? Is that what he's saying? And notice what Peter says. He says that, that as you subject yourselves to them, as you submit yourselves to them, that even if they do not obey the word, they may be one, and this is remarkable, without a word, by what? The conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, for both unbelieving husbands, and I think this idea of not obeying the word, while it primarily refers to unbelievers, I think it can also affect or refer to rebellious husbands who don't do, because they're not obeying the word of Christ and how they're supposed to treat their wives. So rebellious believing husbands, Peter gives a call for, his, for, for wives' conduct to be shaped by the gospel and the way in which they live their lives. They are to have respectful and pure conduct. Where does that come from? Does respectful and pure conduct come and proceed from within us, from ourselves? No. Fully from the grace of God that transforms us by His, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a mark of grace. It's an indication of what the gospel can do. And so for unsaved husbands, for wives who have husbands who want nothing to do with Christ, you are able to live out the transformation of that grace before them. And God may use that by your conduct that they would be one without a word from you as you show the gospel at work in your life. Now, as we've mentioned these are high callings that Peter gives to wives and husbands. And as I mentioned before last week, you may read the words, likewise wives be subject to your own husbands, and you think to yourselves, well, you don't know my husband. God does know your husband. Husbands, you may see the words that are calling you to live with your wife in an understanding way, and you may say, yeah, you don't know my wife. God does know your wife. These are high callings that God gives to his people. And if, if we look at this and we are left to ourselves to produce and keep these commands, it's hopeless, isn't it? And so that brings us to the third point. As we seek to fulfill our role in the family, how do we know, how can we be sure that we can fulfill that role. And finally, we see that because we hope in gospel power for our family. Hope in gospel power for your family. We see this, first of all, in seeing the reality that the gospel power is displayed 
by individual transformation. As we saw, this good and righteous or respectful conduct, this pure and respectful conduct is not something that we produce by our own exertion. It's brought about by the work of the Spirit of God transforming us to be more like who? Christ. And see, that is the reality that wives are to be looking to. Your, your call as a wife to submit to your husband is not a call to be like someone else's wife. Boy, I wish I could really be submissive like so-and-so. There are examples given to us in Scripture, but ultimately, the example for wives is who? Jesus Christ. And likeness to Him is brought about by the grace of God working in your heart, transforming you, changing your desires, so that now you walk according to what you've been called to do. It's a mark of God's grace. So wives, when you hear these commands to obey Peter's call to submit even to selfish and unfair husbands, realize that the strength to do that is not within you. You cannot do it. But God can through His grace at work in you. Is there anything that is too hard for our God? No. We like to think about that as God changing our circumstances How about the reality that it's not too hard for God to change you? And then we see that gospel power is displayed by hope in grace. Look at what Peter says in verse 7 again to husbands. They are to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Why? Because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are heirs with you with the grace of life. What is it that the grace of life is? Well, I think it's a very broad term. If we were to look in chapter 1, verse 4, Peter talks about how there is an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, kept for us in heaven. And husbands and wives are equal heirs of that Glorious gift of God's grace. We are blessed beyond all recognition. We are richer than Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos combined in Jesus Christ. And both wives and husbands have equal share in that inheritance. But that inheritance is also a reality that Peter goes on to say that we are kept by God's power daily for that inheritance. So what is the grace of life? It is the everyday grace of God given to us to conform us more into Christ's image. We are given absolutely everything we need in Christ so that it brings about a recognition for both wives and husbands that we are both works in progress. That we are as Peter says in chapter 2, verse um, 5, we are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. We're not there yet. One day we will be, whether it be 
walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or whether it be Christ coming again, one day we will be that full, completely built spiritual house. And we should yearn for that, but yet every day we are being made more like that through God's grace. And if we have been extended grace, then what should we extend to others? Grace. So wives, when your husband is foolish and harsh, what should you extend to your husband? Grace. Husbands, when your wife is kicking against you and and not following your leadership and you're seeking to do it in a way that honors her and you're seeking to do it according to biblical principles, what should you do? Give her what? Grace. Because you're both heirs of the grace of life. Now, I've said a lot to husbands and to wives. And maybe you've thought, maybe I could have skipped the last couple weeks because I'm not married. Maybe you're here today and, or you're watching online and you're single. You're not in a marriage relationship. Maybe your marriage story is one of tragedy and heartache that led to a marriage that ended. Maybe you've sat through these past two weeks and thought, is this applicable to me? And the answer is yes. So I want to just quickly go through four principles for the unmarried. And the first is, grace is needed for how many relationships? All relationships. The grace that a husband and a wife depend upon as they interact with each other is a grace that single people need to have as they interact in their relationships with everyone. We all need grace to deal with each other because we're all dirty, rotten scoundrels. But by God's grace, we're being made to be like Jesus Christ. And ultimately, God has shown such grace to us in Jesus. How dare we not show that grace to others? I think secondly, we see that this is a practical roadmap for evaluating a potential spouse. Wives, I think it's a good, it's a good question you should ask if you're dating somebody or considering somebody. Is this man someone I can submit to? Is he less or more of an idiot in the way he treats things and deals with things? That's, I think that's a legitimate question to ask. Husbands, or, or potential husbands, is this someone that you see can, is someone who would be able to follow your leadership? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't provide grace in those things, but I think it provides a practical roadmap for decisions you make as you consider potential spouses. Think thirdly, this is important. There is a countercultural call to Christ-likeness. And I didn't even mean for that to alliterate, but it worked out. Listen, this world wants you to be a certain way in how you treat your husband, how you treat your wife, how you treat your boyfriend, how you treat your girlfriend, the things that you desire in those relationships. The world wants you to be a certain way, but we are called to be like who? Christ. And so in every relationship, but particularly dating relationships or things that you're considering, seek to be like Christ and don't go along with the way the world says you should be. The world 
wants to throw out the truth of God's word. And what we find is that as they do that, the underpinnings and foundations of society in general begin to crumble. So we have a countercultural call to Christ's likeness. Say that six times fast. And then finally, I think it highlights the need for gospel centeredness in how many aspects of your life? Every aspect of your life. We need the gospel not just to save us from God's wrath, not just to bring us into his presence in heaven. We need the gospel to save us from ourselves every day so that our lives are shaped by a desire to be repenting of who we are, turning of who we are apart from Christ, and seeking to be more like Christ by His grace. That is the gospel as we trust Him to work within us. So, the Pilgrim's family. I think this is, this is where this sort of all comes together, is recognizing that Peter has addressed this book to strangers and pilgrims, a foreigner. Our families should not look like the world's families. Our priorities should be different than the world's priorities. And it's seen primarily in the way that husbands and wives fulfill the roles that God has given them. And it's seen in the way that we all treat each other with grace and kindness and love in Christ Jesus, letting the gospel transform every interaction we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that's found in it. Take your word, apply it to our hearts and lives. Shape and mold us more into the image of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace at work within us, and we pray these things in Christ's name, pleading his blood.